Well, today we are back into our series in Mark's Gospel, and our text today comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. So listen now for God's word to us today. Jesus then left that place, and he went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses gave you this law. But at the beginning of creation... God made them male and female for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we move ahead in this text, I just want to, I just want us to get our bearings in the gospel of Mark. And to do that, we're just going to set the context with a few landmarks that should be familiar to us in this gospel we've been working through. So Mark's gospel is split into two main parts. The first part is chapters 1 through 8, and the focus of the first part of the Gospel of Mark is about, it's about showing who Jesus is. And so the first half of the Gospel of Mark is chock full of of miracles, for example, to illustrate that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God. And, And then The midpoint of the gospel is found in Mark chapter 8, verse 29. Some people say that's the climax of the gospel of Mark. And that's where uh, where Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And Peter responds that you are the Christ. And that's the midpoint. And and from there on, the, the gospel focus shifts from who is Jesus to what did Jesus come to do? Or what is his mission? And, and then in 831, Mark 831, Jesus tells the disciples that he must suffer, be rejected, die, and rise. 
and he is heading to the cross for the sins of his people, and that, that's why he has come. That is his mission. And then straight after that, he, about speaking about his mission, he then tells the disciples. He says, anyone who wants to be my disciple, anyone who wants to follow me, right? He says, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So there is, a, there is an element of discipleship that is about self-denial that, is, that has a cost to it. There is a cost to following Jesus. And then in chapters 9 and 10, which we've recently been in chapter 9, and we begin chapter 10 today, Jesus begins to kind of put some meat on the bones, if you will, of what self-denying discipleship looks like. And two weeks ago, we were finishing out chapter 9, and we saw about how being a self-denying disciple of Jesus means, it means um, to humbly serve, and it means to deal radically with sin. And, and so with all of that in mind, with all of that in mind, you know, today in chapter 10, really what we're seeing is how Jesus calls us to faithful discipleship. Jesus is calling us to faithful discipleship. Now, to jump right into the text for today, in verse 1 of chapter 10, it says this, kind of sets what's going on. Jesus left the place where they were. He went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. So Jesus moves around, right? We've been seeing that. He moves around. And no matter where Jesus goes, two things always happen. Crowds follow him, and crowds gather around him. And then he has compassion on the crowds, and, and his response to that is to teach the crowds. And so crowds gather, and he teaches them. So, so frequently, Jesus does respond to human need, and as people are sick, he heals them. As they're demon-possessed, he delivers them. But the main thing Jesus is about is about teaching about the kingdom of God and how people enter the kingdom of God by repenting of their sins and by believing in him. That's what he teaches about. And verse 2 tells us that in the midst of this crowd and in the midst of this time of teaching, that some Pharisees came. And the Pharisees tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Right, gotcha. Now, if you remember, back in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark, the, this topic came up before divorce. And, and in that case, it was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist spoke out against Herod and Herodias about their relationship and about divorce. Do you remember what happened to John the Baptist? He got his head cut off. And so this is a topic that could get one in hot water. And I think the Pharisees know that as they bring up this question to Jesus. And then Jesus replies to them in verse 3. He just asks the question, well, what did Moses command you? What did Moses command you uh, specifically about divorce? And so Jesus is pointing the Pharisees back to the Old Testament, back to the law of Moses. And, and the Pharisees then answer Jesus' question in verse 4. They say, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So the Pharisees are referring here 
to a law in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, which says that if a man marries a woman and then becomes displeased with her because he finds something indecent about her, that he can then write her a certificate of divorce. And therefore, Moses does give permission for divorce in the law. But it seems as if the Pharisees have just kind of plucked this, this one verse out of all of the law of Moses and then kind of concluded that, well, I guess God is okay with divorce, right? Or maybe God's even commanding us to divorce. And then Jesus gives an explanation about that verse in Deuteronomy. In verse 5, he says the reason that law was given, the reason Moses had to do this was because of the hardness of your hearts. Because of the hardness of people's hearts, Moses gave this law as a way of protecting women so that if, if, a, if a husband wrote a certificate of divorce to his wife, then the woman had some legal protections, had some hope for the future because of the hardness of people's hearts, right? So um, despite divorce being allowed there in the law of Moses, we know it was, it was not part of the original design or the original intent. And Jesus makes that clear in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, At the beginning of creation, God made, made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they are one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. <clears throat> so Jesus, unlike the Pharisees, he goes all the way back. He goes even further back than the law of Moses. He goes back to the beginning. He goes back to the created intent and design of marriage itself in Genesis chapter 2. And in these verses, he gives us the, the blueprint of what marriage is meant to be. That marriage is between one man and one woman. And that anything else is not marriage as God has designed or intended it to be. Marriage, you see, is, is in itself, it's a creation event. It's the creation of a new family unit. As a, as a man li leaves his family and a woman leaves her family, and then together they become one new family unit. And so marriage is designed for the two to become one in the most intimate of all of human relationships. And Jesus reminds us that it's God that brings two people together, and therefore no one should try to separate that. So the original design, the original intent for marriage is to be a, a lifelong commitment. Divorce, you see, wasn't mentioned back in Genesis chapter 2. And I think that's because it wasn't part of the original design. It wasn't part of the original blueprint. God made marriage and it was good. But the disciples here, they show, they show how much they have been influenced by their own cultural context, right? Because they're struggling to understand what Jesus is teaching here. They're finding it quite hard to hear. And maybe 
maybe we find it hard to hear as well, just like the disciples. And so they asked Jesus for a bit more of an explanation in verse 10. And as is the pattern that we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, after a public teaching, Jesus often goes privately with the disciples and they're able to drill down a little deeper and have some follow-up conversations about whatever the topic is. And that's what happens here. It says they go to this house and then they, they speak privately and Jesus answers their, their questions in verses 11 and 12. And he says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And so, so there... You know, he's saying that the one who initiates divorce and then remarries commits adultery against the first husband or the first wife. <clears throat> and here, this, this use of the word adultery is really speaking to a part of the law of Moses that, that the Pharisees completely ignored, right? They focused in on Deuteronomy 24.1, that it was permitted for a man to write a certificate of divorce, but they completely neglected the Ten Commandments, where it says, do not commit adultery. Now, we may be thinking at this moment, you may be thinking, why is marriage and divorce so important to Jesus? I mean, shouldn't Jesus be spending his time talking about things like repentance and forgiveness, and grace, and faith, and things like that. Well, I think this is important for Jesus because relationships are a crucial part of our life, and relationships are a crucial part of our faith. And so, of course, Jesus is going to spend time talking about relationships, talking about the desire to be loved and the desire to love, right? These things are inherent to, to the human condition. And so relationships and marriage and divorce, these are all part and parcel to what it means to be a faithful disciple. That's why Jesus talks about these things. Now... I appreciate and acknowledge that this can be a little bit of a tough subject. And just to say, I didn't just, say, I didn't just decide, oh, let me find some text on divorce to preach about. It just happens to be like the next segment of Mark's gospel. So we're just plowing right through these things. Um, I appreciate that it can be a tough subject. It appeared to be a tough subject for the disciples and for the Pharisees. And it may be a tough subject for us as well. And so what I want to do is to spend just a bit of time this morning thinking about what Jesus says, thinking about what that means for us in the different situations and circumstances that we may find ourselves in in life. And so I'm going to walk us through a few different realistic circumstances that some of us, or maybe all of us, may be experiencing in one way or another right now. And we'll look at what it means to be a faithful disciple of Jesus in the midst of these different circumstances. So, the first is this. <clears throat> what if I am unhappily married? What if I am unhappily married? Maybe that is you in this moment. I hope not. But maybe that's someone in this room is unhappily married. And 
my, my cultural context is from the United States. That's where I'm from. And I kind of live life with a, a foot in two worlds. So, so just to share from my, my cultural context, the United States, the, the research, the most current research statistics about marriage and divorce indicates that approximately 45% of marriages, first marriages in the United States, end in divorce. I don't know exactly what that is in Guatemala. I suspect it's a lower percent here in Guatemala. I hope so. Um, but it's just to say, I think that is one way of saying that relationships are hard, right? Relationships are tough. And, and one thing that we see is that in relationships, they often get difficult when like, when like the shine wears off, when the honeymoon, quote unquote, is over. And many people think of relationships like cars, right? You get a car. It's kind of exciting at first. It's this new car. You got that new car smell. You got the nice shine about it. You enjoy this new thing about this new car. But at some point, the newness kind of wears off. And you're ready for something different, right? And many people treat relationships like this, right? When we've gotten our use or enjoyment out of them. Well, it's time for something new. That was true in Jesus' day as well. Divorce was part of the, the culture in that day, just like it is today. And, you know, m- much of our culture today believes that the pursuit of happiness is what life is to really be about. And, and relationships are kind of part of that pursuit of happiness. And so if you aren't, you know, our culture would say if you're not happy in your relationship, well, change it. Get a new one. Be happy. Change your circumstances. Now, having said that, I mean, a Christian's life is also to be about a pursuit of happiness. I I would probably use the term joy instead of happiness, but the Christian life is a pursuit of, of happiness in a way. But really, that joy or that happiness for the Christian is rooted deeply in the goodness of a relationship with God. That is the source of true happiness. That is where our deepest longings and needs and desires are met, is in a relationship with God. And so if you're someone, you know, who feels at the moment that you are unhappily married, let me just say this. Faithful discipleship would dictate being committed to a lifelong relationship of marriage, even when it gets tough even when it's not wonderful, even when we feel unhappy, because that is the model of God's never-ending, never-giving-up love for His people. Therefore, we may need to deny ourselves the temporary happiness of, of, say, being single once again, right? Or finding a new relationship out of obedience to Jesus as faithful disciples. Faithful discipleship seeks commitment in marriage. Next circumstance. What if I am single? What if I'm single? Well, Jesus' teaching here on marriage means if you are single, it will mean denying yourself a sexual relationship until you are married. It means waiting until you are united with your future husband or wife in that one flesh relationship. It may mean 
denying yourself a sexual relationship for a long time. For some people, that means for life. But I would note that, in fact, that is something that the Bible speaks fairly positively about. If you are single, it's also worth noting those high divorce rates I referred to, which was you know, also an issue in Jesus' day, which is just a reminder that marriage is difficult. Sometimes you know, we see that thing and we think that will fix all of my problems or that will satisfy all my needs, but just as a, you know, a warning that marriage is wonderful, but it is difficult. It is difficult and it is work and it will probably not be the answer to every one of your desires or needs or solve all your problems. Nevertheless, if you are single, faithful discipleship commits to purity. Next, what if I am same-sex attracted? This is somewhat similar to being heterosexually single that I just covered. But in Mark chapter 10, Jesus limits marriage to one man and one woman. And so therefore, if you're someone who is same-sex attracted, there is a long road ahead for you of self-denial. And I want to say this here. That road may be very difficult, and it may be very long. And I believe that Union Church is a place that is committed to seeking to provide emotionally supportive relationships for you if this is where you are, right? Whether you're same-sex attracted or whether you are heterosexually single, that there are people here for you to help you, to encourage you, and to support you along the way. And if this is your journey, there may be times when it feels like you are losing life right now. But I would remind you that Jesus says we lose life now in order to gain life for eternity. So it is not a lost investment. Faithful discipleship commits to purity. Next, what if I am in an abusive relationship? It's worth saying that the New Testament gives permission for divorce for adultery. And I think the Bible is also clear that anyone who's experiencing abuse in a marriage relationship should remove themselves from that relationship. And so I would encourage anyone, if you are here today and you are suffering in an abusive relationship, I want to encourage you to seek help and to remove yourself from that relationship, to to protect yourself because of the hardness of hearts. In today's world, divorce is a sad thing, but sometimes it is a necessary thing. And it doesn't make you an unfaithful disciple to seek to leave an abusive partner. Next, what if I'm all right? What if I am happily married? Right, That's a good thing if you are happily married. Um, well, today, Jesus is drawing our attention to adultery, and he kind of widens the net beyond just those who divorce and remarry. And in fact, if you look in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks about adultery. He says, you have heard, it is said, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his own heart. And that's basically to say, 
that every single person is guilty of adultery in their heart, right? Desiring other people who aren't our husband or wife, right? No one is innocent in this area. And you don't have to look far to see these failings in discipleship. And as faithful disciples, this means trusting in Jesus for forgiveness and redemption and new life, even in our happy marriage relationships, right? None of us is perfect and none of us is sinless. And we need his grace. Finally, what if I'm divorced and remarried? What if I'm divorced and remarried? Well, if you are divorced and remarried, I am aware that this might be a little bit of an awkward morning for you. And some of you may be struggling because you were feeling false guilt because you were divorced. You, you got divorced and it wasn't your fault. Or you got divorced and you didn't want to get divorced. But whether you were divorced and remarried or whether you were single or whether you have been married for 50 years. As I've said, none of us is perfect. We're, we're all guilty of relational sins in various ways. And whatever circumstances you may find yourself in this morning, I just want to urge you to pursue faithful discipleship and to lean deeply into the redeeming grace of Jesus because we all need that. Anybody here been married 50 years? All right. All right, the Hardemans. Awesome. Did y'all raise your hand? Not quite? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Now, if any of this has raised some questions for you or you need more clarification or you want to talk about these issues, I mean, holler at me, make an appointment. We can talk and pray. Speak to one of our elders. They have a shepherd's heart and would love to minister to you as well. All right. Now, the text shifts fairly dramatically from this talk about marriage and divorce. And in verse 13 through 16, we begin to get a glimpse of what self-denying discipleship really looks like as Jesus calls us to childlike discipleship. To childlike discipleship. Verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Picture the scene. Whole families are coming down the road. They're coming to see Jesus. They are excited. Parents are telling their children about this special person that they are going to meet. The kids are imagining what it's going to be like to encounter Jesus. They're sharing about the stories they've heard about Jesus feeding 5,000 people, about him casting out demons, about him healing the sick. They're arguing over who's going to be the first to get to meet him. And as the families arrive, they are quickly turned away by the disciples. Now, to be fair, this is kind of what we expect about important, powerful people, right? right? Keep some distance. Keep some space, right? Wait your turn. And, you know, the disciples are there. They're they're turning people away, they're ushering them away, they're acting kind of like the, you know, the uh, head of state or president's security detail. And we might expect in this text for Jesus to then say, well done, boys, right, I needed a, I needed a break. But look at Jesus' reaction in verse 14. 
When he saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So Jesus is angry at what he sees the disciples doing. He feels like it is unfair treatment to these families and children. And he wants them to come to him. Don't hinder them, right? I want it to be easy for these kids to come to me, right? The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What a wonderful thing, right? That there's no age limit on the kingdom of God. You know, there's age limits on a lot of things in life, right? Certain movies, school grades, right? Um, Driving, nightclubs, even marriage. There's age limits. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's no size that we have to reach. There's no age we have to attain. There's no special knowledge that we have to get because entry into the kingdom of God is all about what God does for us, right? It is a gift. And so Jesus welcomes the children, which is kind of a surprise to the disciples in this case. Just like Jesus welcomed the the sinners and tax collectors, which in that case was sort of a surprise to the Pharisees, and just like Jesus welcomed the Gentiles, which was kind of a surprise to the Jews, Jesus is full of surprises, um, even here. And And he says, all are welcome into the kingdom of God. And Jesus uses this misunderstanding from the disciples to then teach a lesson in verse 15. He says, truly I tell you, that's a way of saying like, this is really important, listen up. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So children, you are welcomed into the kingdom of God. It is for you. And Jesus says, it is essential to be childlike, childlike, right? If we, don't, if we don't receive the kingdom like a child, he says, we won't enter it. Now, I wonder what Jesus means, because in verse 13, it describes the children as little children. And then this same account is also given in Luke's gospel, And in Luke's gospel account, it describes the children not just as little, but it describes them as babies, as babies, okay? Now, one thing I know, and one thing I've learned over the years is this, is that babies are totally dependent. Have you ever noticed that? Babies can't do anything for themselves, right? There's some some babies in the church right now, I mean, so some of y'all know, right? Babies are dependent on somebody else for everything, like to move from this room to that room, to get food, to eat, to get their diaper changed, to get a bath. They need help with everything. They are totally dependent. And Jesus is saying, that is what we need to be like with him, totally dependent on him, right? Now think about this a little more. What is the opposite of dependence? independence independence right and independence grows from the root of pride the disciples they wanted to be independent in chapters 9 and chapters 10 right they argued on the road about who was the greatest right who was the most important 
They tried to do ministry without praying. They got bent out of shape, you know, and they got their noses all turned up at other people doing ministry in Jesus' name. And they turned Jesus away. I'm, I'm sorry, they turned children away from Jesus, right? They are expressing in all of these moments their independence and their pride. But what Jesus is talking about is humility. Humility to come to him totally dependent on him. To come to him like helpless little children. Right? Here's the main way I think that dependency shows itself practically in our lives. Dependency shows itself in Bible reading and in prayer. If I depend on God, I need to hear from his word, from his truth, every single day. If I am dependent on God, I need to speak to him and to hear him speak to me in prayer every day, asking him to meet my physical and spiritual needs, right? That's sometimes kind of challenging, isn't it? Seems simple. Sometimes that can be challenging because it doesn't come naturally to us. We, we naturally want to, be, we want to be strong and not weak. We want to be needed and not needy. We want to be independent adults and not childlike, you know, d- dependent children. But verse 15 says dependency is essential to the life of a self-denying disciple. We need to see ourselves in the right way. We need to see ourselves as dependent on God, and we need to see God as completely able to help us. Jesus also talks about, about us receiving the kingdom of God, and he says, you know, as adults, you're not very good at that. As adults, you're not very good at receiving the kingdom of God. And so we need to receive it like children. Um, I guess the the illustration of that is like, as adults, we are not very good at receiving gifts. Think about it. What do you do when somebody gives you a gift, right? Say, oh, I I couldn't accept this, right? Oh, it's too much. Or, Or you think like, I'll have to get, you know, I'll have to get her something kind of equal in value in return and give her a gift back. That's how adults receive gifts, right? But that is not how children receive gifts, right? If you offer a gift to a child, that child does not say, oh, no, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly receive this. No, if you offer a gift to a child, they're going to like get their hands on that thing. Like, yes. Thank you. Grasp it tight so nobody can take it away from them, right? They are going to receive it with joy. And so we need to learn how to receive gifts like like children, right? Um, When it comes to the gift of salvation, we should receive it with joy like a child, right? But we often, you know, well, uh, no, thank you. I couldn't possibly receive that. I've got to pay you back, God, for this gift of salvation. No, receive it like a child. Receive your faith as a gift 
like a child. And then finally, last verse, verse 16, reminds us of the deep love that Jesus has for all those who will come to him as little children, as dependent children. He says, it says, he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Mm. Takes the children and blesses them. Isn't that good, right? That all who come to Jesus in dependent, childlike faith receive that same welcome. Jesus calls us to faithful discipleship. Jesus calls us to childlike discipleship. That may be challenging for some of us. But Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he did not himself do. As a single man, his entire life he denied himself and he remained faithful to his father and he shows us childlike discipleship that he lived his entire life in total and perfect dependence upon his father in heaven and that faithfulness and that childlike dependence ultimately took him to the cross and completed the mission that he speaks about in this part of Mark. Because he must die for unfaithful, independent, adult-like disciples such as we are.